Legally Sound Smart Business presents Behind the Buy. Sound Smart Business, where your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stomp, cover business in the news and add their awesome legal twist. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast brought to you by Pasha Law PC, a law firm representing your business in California, Illinois, New York, and Texas. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stobb. All right, welcome to Legally Sound Smart Business. This is our last episode of Behind the Buy, where we cover a business transaction from start to finish. And now we're beyond the finish line in our last episode, where we're going to reflect and really give some insight on this entire transaction. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm messed up. So this episode, I've actually been looking forward to for a while. We've been releasing our episode for months, our series for months now. And we're re- actually recording this. I, I think it's almost been almost been a year since we actually recorded uh, originally this series, right, Matt? Yeah, I think a, l- a little under. I guess, but well, by the time this episode comes out, it'll probably be just under a year. So, yeah, yeah, just under a year. And and of course, uh, 2020. For those of you that are listening from the future, hopefully, we're still around. It's been a crazy year. But you know, buying a business in, uh, uh, I think we're going to talk about this, but pre-COVID and post-COVID is a completely different story. But I think you know, uh, what's nice about this, we can kind of look at that in this lens. It's like you know, how this may have been different if you know, after COVID, right? Yeah. I mean, undoubtedly, there's obviously some it would it would be a much different transaction if it would have been after or even during so but we'll, we'll touch on that but yeah i mean that's it's just a it's just one of the things that can arise in the transaction of buying a business right so in in our series obviously you guys listen to it or uh, maybe you're catching up still but our buyer our our client buyer was buying a business out in california an urgent care business. And of course, not everyone's buying a buying an urgent care in California. That's a pretty specific transaction. But what's really what was really neat about this transaction, not only the fact that you were able to kind of go through from beginning to end, because you know, let's face it, not all transactions go through. This one did. And you know, this was I, I think this is we would consider this a success. And it did close, but there was so many different aspects at every episode, at every step of the transaction that you can kind of grab from and relate to in other transactions. And I think uh, Matt and I often talked about how when we're even listening to the episodes ourselves, not that I I know Matt obsesses over the podcast, listens to it every night. I, I, I'm not one to do that. But when we did talk about it, we did reflect upon you know how this related to other clients and other transactions that we've been in. And, and I, we thought that this would be a good opportunity to kind of share those stories as well. Sure. Yeah. It's uh, like you said, it's 
this is an example of a transaction that, you know, obviously there was bumps along the road, but it ended up with the the right result for the client. But there's plenty of instances where there's these different hiccups and bumps and that isn't the case and the deal blows up. So we're just going to kind of go through the life cycle of this transaction and touch on some examples where it hasn't been successful. Right. And that first step is that letter of intent, right? And when you're acquiring a business, I, I wouldn't say this is the case in all cases, but for those that have gone through many series of acquisitions and so forth, everyone kind of understands that it's you get a lot of prospects, but very rarely, you know, maybe one out of ten or one out of twenty deals actually goes the the first step of actually signing something and getting an offer in. And that's just the nature of making sure you're finding the right deal. And if you get lucky and and, and get that letter of intent right away, you know, you you have to be careful because you got to make sure you look at different prospects to make sure you know what you're looking for. You can't just jump on the first one. Right. And, you know, like you said, there's, there's plenty of instances where there's a prospect and there's even discussions and nothing ends up happening from there. If you can clear that first hurdle and get a letter of intent in place or similar document, it can still even, it can still even terminate after that. So, you know, the fact that in this example, there was an actual letter of intent signed was a huge first step, but there's definitely been instances right. where we've had, had clients with letters of intent signed and, the other side starts doing their due diligence or even our client does their own due diligence and, or I should say we do it for them sometimes, but you know, one of the sides wants to back out as a result. And so that's why it's the, it's so critical to have the right terms in the, in those documents, like a letter of intent. Right. But sometimes the, sometimes you have deals that are too good to be true. Right. Right. And, and something, you know, a lot of times there'll be discussions prior to anything being signed or even presented in writing. And like you said, it, it is a situation where it terms can, are too good to be true. And then we'll find out after the fact, once things get written down, that that's not the case. So, I mean, I think at the beginning, anytime there's a prospect of, of buying a business, the discussion always needs to be, you know, the, some of the centered around some of the material terms, but cause you know, for example, we've had, we've had clients or clients before that have come to us and, you know, they, they give us a call and say, look, I have this potential business that I'm going to buy. It's for X price and, you know, it can close within Y number of days. And it just doesn't even seem realistic. And it's not to say that it can't happen, but, you know, I think there's always a lot of excitement at the beginning. And then once, <laughs> and once you actually get into the, the details and, you know, the realities of everything, you know, you, you can see that it was actually too good to be true. And I'm glad you mentioned excitement because I think when, when we have clientele that you know br bring us this opportunity to work with this transaction, you know we're excited as well. I mean, this is a uh, a, a new acquisition, new transaction, and at the beginning, everyone's kind of very optimistic. And I think it's very easy for us as attorneys to get caught up into it too. And it's not that we're here to kind of you know be doom and gloom because as 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 we know, there's always kind of hurdles and obstacles and so forth. But we do have to be responsible to you know our our role with the client to make sure that we create proper expectations and make sure that even though everyone's anxious to move forward that 
we we slow down when we need to. It's not to say that you know a lot of times we need to these transactions need to move fast, and so we we typically like to keep up the pace, but also where it makes sense to make sure that our our clients are protected. And I don't know how many times again, like we want to get in this letter of intent and get the terms down, and a lot of people want to kind of punt on talking about some of these important terms. Hey, let's just get the basic terms out there. We'll deal with that this issue later. And sometimes that's strategic, but sometimes it's like, look, we don't want to waste time. If we're so fundamentally different, then uh, then let's let's not bother with this. And and how many times, Matt, where it's like sometimes the other side will kind of trick you into I don't want to trick you trick is probably a, the too strong of a word, but maybe, you know, not be upfront on a certain issue that they that they know that we're not going to like or vice versa. And we don't find out later that, hey, this is a deal term that is uh, uh, essential. And if you don't like it, then you have to walk away. And of course, by that time, you've already spent all this time and money you know, vetting this deal, whether in due diligence or legal fees or what have you. Yeah, I think maybe pressuring might be the right word. And that you know, reminded me, with, <laughs> without disclosing some of the more pertinent details or the identity of, of a client reminded me of a situation where we had a client who was looking to buy this business for actually for a long time, for many years. And basically it came to me and said, look, I the opportunities finally arisen. I can buy this. The, the, the seller just wants me to pay X amount right now. And then the rest. And I was like, Oh, whoa, that's, <laughs> well, first of all, we're not going to pay anything until we get anything in writing, but it ended up being a deal that, that was too good to be true, at least from the beginning, because there was all these little pieces that got thrown in as we got more into the actual transaction. So, I mean, ultimately the deal closed and it did work out for the client, but it was a situation where they just had a dollar amount up front, but there was all these little issues along the road or things that our client wasn't, you know, maybe didn't contemplate or uh, wasn't expecting. And so that's why we, we papered this up from the beginning and then have the right contingencies in place and, you know, see if we can ultimately get the transaction closed. If, if the deal is, I don't want to say too good to be true, but good enough in that, that instance to be true. Right. And I think I think you're going to find a lot of that, especially now in post-COVID, because you have a lot of sellers that are in bad situations and they need to sell, for example. And they may have not buyer's remorse, but seller's remorse, because you'll sign a letter of intent and and I've already seen it, you know, we I think we've already seen it personally. It's like you have the seller's regret where they'll want to renegotiate terms, you know, post letter of intent, which, you know, it's not impossible, but of course, like all of a sudden you're you're going on a path of a certain expectation and and these the seller is like, oh, this is not as lucrative of a deal that I thought it was, and they'll start making you know such comments and so forth. But but that's that could happen any any time you know post or or pre COVID. Yeah, I mean it's it's I don't think it's incredibly realistic to expect that all the exact terms of anything that's on a, a letter of intent are ultimately going to be the the terms at the end of the deal and you can both sides can kind of divert all the off the path but it's it's more the material issues or things that weren't disclosed and probably should have been up front that can really blow up a deal so you know to me like you're mentioning the 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 covid pieces you know things that can possibly blow up a deal when when it otherwise seems too good to be true or just not not disclosing the full facts or not even uh, when when one side questions the other i guess more inst- more importantly when the 
when the potential buyer is asking questions of the seller, maybe on specifics or financials, and the seller is not willing to divulge that or says they can't, to me, that's a huge red flag from the beginning. And you should really put up your, your guard at that point from, from day one with every, and move forward with that in mind. Right. Trust, but verify, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the whole point of the letter of intent process is you, you okay, let's, I'm, I'm going to buy your business under these terms, assuming everything goes well in due diligence. And you kind of put that in there, the expectations you know, are out there. And you go through that, you ask all those questions. And especially when you're, um, you know, especially now, and it's kind of hard to not keep relating this to COVID, because that's, you know, as we're recording this, we're in, we're in the middle and thick of it. But uh, some of those questions are, you know, okay, what was your revenue pre-COVID? Because if you're in the hospitality or some other business or even any business, frankly, you need to have an understanding of, of what your revenue is prior to the pandemic and post and getting those questions and going through that due diligence, because really that's the next step after, after the letter of intent. Exactly. I think the good analogy here would be if you're looking to buy a house and, you know, like most, I think most people's process is they see a house online, they go look at it, you know, look for, obviously you can see any, any material defects on the outside or struck, you know, something. And then once you get into the inspection process, it really digs into the bones and, you know, that's why you might uncover things and that'll shift the potential price or negotiation or uh, things a party is willing to give up. But that, that's kind of how I view this for in terms of buying a business is you're not going to know everything up front. And so it's just, <laughs> maybe it's like the house that is too good to be true. They exist, but it's just probably not likely. Right. And in, and in this transaction in our series, like that's how we set it up, right? We even had a no shop provision in there. That's pretty common in letter of intents. And that actually came up because they... Again, I don't think it was seller regret in this case, but there was some talk with that broker friend of the seller where, you know, they were kind of hinting like, hey, you know, we have other, you know, we, we could go to other buyers and so forth. But the whole point of entering into that exclusivity period was that, no, you you can't. You can't go to other buyers right now because right now you're dealing with us and we're right now doing our due diligence and and going through that. And of course, what happens is, you know, we, we go through these due diligence and we start, we start uncovering some interesting facts, you know, in, in the transaction, if you guys recall, you know, everything from, I, I mean, this is kind of going all across the series, but we, they had trademark issues, they had employment issues, you know, w- there was concerns about the licensing and making sure how we can structure that. And that's all part of it, right? You, you have to be able to really dive deep and, and, and fast too, you know, these sellers, they start to get anxious, if, and and it's when you're doing due diligence. Something to think about is that there's there's a lot of deal fatigue that occurs on the seller's behalf because they start all they're doing is providing all these documents, answering questions, and so forth. And we even had an incident right where the seller was kind of just seemed like fed up, and they wanted to they 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 told the their staff that they were selling the business, and you know that wasn't necessarily something that we wanted to address right away, right? Right. And you know, it reminds me of a question we actually get a decent amount is whether, whether it makes more sense to purchase a business or, or start your own. And I think in the, in the, not to keep harping on the COVID context, but I think that's going to be interesting to see how things play out in the next year or two or beyond that is you might have a bunch of willing 
sellers and a buyer might be able to come in and, and swipe swipe the business at a discount as opposed to starting things from scratch right. and going around there because there's there's obviously pros and cons to both but I think there's a real opportunity out there for potential buyers if they can you know assuming things can get back to to quote unquote normal in the next or in the foreseeable future um, and you can kind of step in and revive that business but it's it's going to be interesting to see how that landscape plays out right and and we talked a lot in the series about the differences between an asset purchase and an equity purchase and not to say that's you know it's it's still a, an, uh, it's always going to be an important issue but especially now when we're in poss- probably a recession right now and who knows how long that may continue but when you're acquiring a business versus starting a new one, you have to be concerned about the past. Whereas starting a new business, you're just looking at the future. And when you're buying a business and concerned about the past, you you, you want to think about whether you're inheriting any liabilities. Often these distressed businesses have probably incredible amounts of debt and whether that debt is connected to maybe contracts or relationships that need to be resurrected to to the extent that you actually need to come in there and, and resolve those debts or not? Or can you just get the assets and have the seller deal with that themselves? You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it really depends upon, you know, the, the circumstance of the business. Yeah. And, and that reminds me of uh, Ed, you know, recently with another client is they were doing, you know, one of the one of the big assets they were purchasing were these, you know, more for more or less these contracts that were in place. And if that's what you're relying on as a potential buyer, I mean, you really got to go through those contracts and see if there's a way for the the seller to get out of that, either as a result of the the underlying transaction of the the purchase, or it just reminds me of the force majeure too. Right, <laughs> there's a way to get out of there because of that, because it's not just the debts. If you're going to be buying a business, you have to make sure that the assets that you're purchasing are going to hold up or going to be or going to just carry the value that you're anticipating in the in the transaction. So I think in in, in this transaction we ended up going with the asset purchase uh, route mm-hmm. which by the way is is especially from the purchaser's perspective is the usually the way that you want to go. It's also the most common type of kind of small business transaction. You know, when you get a little larger, sometimes that can be a little difficult. And there's often uh, those are more kind of mergers and and uh, you know equity investments and things like that. But especially where it's a small business, where it's pretty easy to transfer assets and things like that, and get into you know start a new business, those are 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 more common. But we didn't actually deal with any kind of creative financing here. This in, in in this case, and that's that's why I wanted to touch touch on it for a second because in in this series the buyer financing was not an issue, but again, especially now where there's a lot of uncertainty as to the success of the business going forward, we're seeing a lot of seller financing opportunities in the sense that first of all, no one wants to pay cash and and take a big chance on a business unless they have a, some some assurances that it's going to be successful in the future, especially the uncertainty. And so you're seeing a lot of structuring where where the seller is willing to finance it and also uh, tie that financing to you know certain levels of success afterwards. In the sense that you know, depending upon certain circumstances, assuring that. The business is going to continue to function as expected, which you know it again is, is up in the air. Yeah, and you know you're you're looking at a few different options if you're doing the, if you're if you're not cash heavy, 
you know, you're, you're, it's going to be some sort of financing. And again, there, there's pros and cons to doing seller financing, at least in my opinion and experience, the sellers probably, if, if you default sellers, that seller finance is probably less likely to enforce that as opposed to just a bank who's <laughs> just looking for the bottom line. I mean, the sellers likely was trying to get out of the business and they don't really want to have any sort of they don't necessarily want to jump back in, or if there's some sort of clawback of, of the underlying assets, or there's some sort of, if or their collateral for some sort of loan, they might be unwilling to do that and just hope that, hey, well, I can kind of let this ride out for a couple months and hopefully it works out. So, but I, you know, obviously that's all all dependent on the terms of the actual financing. If there, if there's personal guarantees, that can certainly change things too. Maybe if there's some sort of relationship between the buyer and the seller, I think there's again there's probably a better chance that. The seller would overlook or look past a, a default for at least a little bit. I know no guarantee that's going to happen, but you know banks are pretty cut and dry, and they're looking to collect, and that's how they make money. So, you know, it's it's just one of the considerations if you're going to go the financing route, which, like you said, Nasser, is mo- going to be most of these transactions. Right. I definitely wanted to talk about how when you're entering into a deal one of the first things that I like to kind of discuss is what is the essence of the business that you're purchasing? Because, and this goes back to a discussion as to whether you want to start a new business or buying a business, what is the essence of it? Are you buying things? Is it, are you buying the actual assets because this business has a certain, you know, uh, collection of supplies or, or, or what have you, or are you buying certain contracts that they may have, whether it's a certain, you know, space or location or lease, or they have a certain, you know, like, so in this transaction, the location was a big deal. They didn't own the space, but that location for that urgent care was a big deal. And so that lease had, had value in itself. In another case, it may be, okay, well, you have this really great contract with a certain client and it's possible to take over that contract. Or maybe, and this sounds weird because you can't buy people, but maybe it's the team. Maybe you want to come in there and own the business because this team is really stellar stellar, and it has its value. After you've identified the essence of the business, then it's a lot easier to figure out exactly how to structure the deal, whether it's an asset purchase or a equity purchase. Because again, like if it's the contracts, an asset purchase may not work unless the other party is willing to transfer. And that can be very complicated if the contracts are such like a, uh, a client, for example, right? Imagine going to all your clients if you're in a service-based industry and saying, hey, can you assign your contract to this buyer? Whereas if it's an equity purchase, it's much easier. On the other hand, if it's a lessor and lessee relationship and you're in a building, the, the landlord, so long as you're credit worthy, doesn't really care about assigning typically assigning the lease to a to a buyer, and so these are some of the things that can help you identify how to structure the business acquisition. Right, and there and there's ways to protect against that too. I think in this specific transaction, we we built in some contingencies into the the purchase agreement that needed to be satisfied. I mean, that, that's a pretty common route to to go. But yeah, like I think the bottom line for all, for what you just said is. Those are those are all items that need to be ironed out before the transaction closes, or else, I mean, you're kind of out of luck at that point if if you don't get those taken care of, or, or you're, you're 
I guess maybe you're willing to roll the dice if, if again, you think this is such a, a great deal. But you know, I, I think our general take on that would be get those items handled prior to closing, and then you'll be in a much better place day one of your new business. Right. And it, it, it'll also help you deal with things that occurred during the transaction. So again, let's let's go back to be you know this behind the buy series, buyers buying a an urgent care, and there was different issues, right? So there was one issue with the lease. If you guys recall, the land we find out very late in the game that the seller did not properly renew or or, or exercise their option to renew the agreement. And I think by the time we got in there, there was like five months left of the lease, and that was a big problem, yeah. right? Because that you can't buy an urgent care without that location because it's then it's worthless. So knowing that this is a critical part of what you're buying made it easy for us as attorneys, but also for our buyer to quickly act. And of course, again, it worked out. You know, we were able to negotiate with the landlord to extend, and it, you know the market was such that you know the landlord was definitely not interested in losing any any tenant at that time, and so that that worked out well. Same thing with remember what happened with the trademark. Right. Again, just to as a reminder, the the seller received a cease and desist letter for the name of their urgent care. And it was such that, well, if you buy this urgent care and use that name, you may be walking into a lawsuit and may not be able to use that name. And we were able to figure that out. What do we do, Matt? Yeah, we basically set aside part of the purchase price. Um, That's right. Yeah. Set a time, set aside a, a time period for which the the buyer would have an opportunity to figure out whether they were going to use the name or not. And then, if they did, they would send the rest of the purchase price over to the seller after the transaction closes. So, I mean, with, with this, I don't want to say there's always a solution, uh, but I think you know, ninety. I don't want. Let's say ninety-five percent of the 96. time. No, ninety-six. Ninety-six percent of the time, uh, there is a solution to it. So, every twenty-four out of every twenty-five times, you should be right. okay. Well, I mean, I, I I say I agree with you. We we say that there's a solution, but keep in mind, sometimes the solution is to walk away, right? And to me, that's a solution in the sense like I, I that, that's weird saying that, but it's like again going back to the essence of why you're buying the business. In our, in this particular case, the buyer wasn't buying the business all for the name. She was very willing to say, you know, the name's nice and everyone knows in the community, but is it impossible to change the name? No. It just costs a little more money, which is why we we put a value to that. How much does it cost to change the name and, and remarket it and all that? And we assigned a value to it and we reduced the purchase price accordingly. And I don't know. I thought that was, first of all, I thought that was a really cool cool solution we come up with <laughs> not to tap our uh what's what's the word pat our backs on back pat ourselves on the back yeah 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 i'm doing little, that right now bit. just to see if i can do it <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit of an unconventional approach to it but nothing crazy so. yeah no, no you're right i mean it's not unheard of of course but yeah um, still i thought that was clever yeah it's the last episode so we can we can uh give ourselves a little bit we can brag us. right <laughs> Yeah. We haven't talked about that broker character. You know, we had a whole episode dedicated to that guy and mm-hmm. and what what I found interesting was that there 
the broker in in my mind kind of represented a lot of different things, not just that that person in the sense. And I think we, we even use the term interloper, and and it's just that there's when you're in a transaction, there's just there's certain people that may just be disruptive to the transaction itself. And sometimes it could be a broker. In this case, it was. But in other times, it could be their attorney. You know, they're, they're just frankly bad attorneys that are not deal makers and not necessarily looking out for the best interest of their clients, maybe not intentionally, but sometimes, you know, they're, they, they want to prove their value and, and, and these kinds of things and, and showmanship and, and they just get in the way of the transaction. So there's those types of people. Sometimes it's employees. You know, you have a manager or a mid-level manager that doesn't want to cooperate in the transaction because, you know, they may lose their job or they're self-interested or we, I've had instances where we were, it was a very small business and one of the, it was a, uh, I don't want to go too much details, but it was a very small business, but we were trying to do a transaction where we need a cooperation of a certain employee, but that particular employee was also interested in buying the business. Their offer was too low previously. So we had a new offer. And of course, now this employee had to cooperate in selling or providing documentation to this prospective buyer. And you can imagine the dynamics that, that, that can occur, you know, because of, again, like that person ended up acting as an interloper. And like any transaction or whatever, you have to be able to deal with that. And this broker was one of those people. But I, I, I think, and I think we, we handled that person well. Yeah, we did. And, you know, I think generally speaking, the the less people at the table, probably the, for the better. I knew you were going to mention the attorney piece because we've definitely seen our fair share of ones that have come in and been adverse to the transaction. But it, it, to be fair, it could also work the other way too. I've definitely had situations where there is no attorney on the other side or they're not heavily involved. And then once you know we get involved, then it becomes a uh, smoother transaction when the other, because the other attorney gets more involved. So right. it can be good and bad. I mean, I guess that's not just for attorneys, but any of these outside parties. I mean, you know, it can work for tax professionals as well. Sometimes they can be a negative influence on the deal because they want to structure something yep. unconventionally, who knows? But I mean, the general point is you, <laughs> you kind of have, especially these, I guess there's a, especially the people that are complete unknowns to the transaction from the beginning. Like in your example, at least the the buyer was aware of this employee. But if you've this this person that comes out of nowhere, like in this case, this broker who I don't think our client had ever even heard of prior to to this transaction, those are the ones you really have to look out for because one, you don't know what they're motives are behind getting involved and two they're just complete wild cards yeah it's just they it right. could be good but most likely won't be and but we have to if, if we're going to talk about the bad i think we need to talk about the good because the opposite of a interloper of course is i think you know the best word is probably facilitator mm -hmm. there are great attorneys and great brokers and great cpas and frankly great employees that can actually help in the business especially attorneys sometimes, and this is frankly their job, this is what they should be doing if they're representing their clients well. And I think we've, you know, uh, we, we've uh, played a positive role in, in doing so as well, where you have clients, so whether a buyer or seller, that 
are as principals, they're just not the best person to be there to negotiate. And even if they are good negotiators, they may not be the best person to actually do the negotiation. And whether that is going into the legalese of the documents or big terms or small terms, Matt always knows if I like an attorney, because I'll, I'll definitely say it, I'll be very critical. But when, when there's an attorney that is good, in my opinion, is it's, that it's not their personality, whether they're friendly or not. It's whether they, they represent their client well in a way that still tries to get the deal done. You know, they're not combative, they're not inflaming, and they're kind of a proactive strategy of, of negotiation. And they don't also, you know, get up wrapped up in the hype of their client. You know, I mean, as as much as we'd like to think business is impersonal, you know, it it it's incredibly emotional. And again, having that representative through your attorney can be very helpful. Of course, like again, there's the there's a gradient. You know, the opposite can be also true. Of course, right. I mean, and there's definitely been instances too where we we just when the other side again doesn't ha, doesn't have an attorney or they're just not heavily involved that we're just hoping that they. They get, yeah, they, they call their attorney and we even ask them, Hey, can we, you know, can we talk to your attorney? Right. Uh, that's, yeah, that's definitely happening. Yeah. That reminds me of the, uh, I don't think we've had any references in the entire series. Maybe we had, but the, the Michael Scott business is the most personal thing in the world. Quote that was, <laughs> has, you know, a lot of it's jokey, but it actually has some truth to it. So yeah, of course. Yeah, so. No, that's great. So this this transaction closed, right? It closed, and our our client was happy. You know, seller sold their urgent care, buyer purchased their urgent care, and I think that's success in in, in my book. But like I said, I think you know being able to walk away sometimes can also be a success. You're avoiding a a mess sometimes by doing so. And if you're on the seller side, even we, you know, we, a lot, a lot of our series is focusing on the buyer's perspective, right? This is, you know, about buying a business, but there's so much. I mean, we, we could do a whole series about selling a business too. I mean, it's a, it's a completely different paradigm, but not selling to a certain buyer because that person or persons may fall through down the line or cause other issues, whether it's uh, legal issues or stress. Sometimes it's just better to, to even take a pay cut. Because you know you have a better chance of going through the acquisition. This is very similar to selling a house. You know, we've already made the analogy regarding an inspection. But if you have a multi-offer situation where uh, with different prices, but you have a strong buyer who is paying cash or has a loan from a reputable lender that has a approval letter, right? These kinds of things, or or the days, number of days that they're willing to close. These kinds of things can also be uh, taken as an analogy to other buyers that it's not just about purchase price. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you're trying to get to that close. And that closing day episode was obviously a very exciting time for our buyer because they were at, that was at the home stretch, but not with incredible you know work and due diligence. Yeah, I mean, when you have... When you have multiple offers, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about the attractiveness of the offer. Like you said, it's not just the purchase price. There's always other things you could do to make some, make a, make an offer more attractive and get the seller to accept it. So, um, I don't have anything else to say about that. (laughs) Well, that, so that's our series. We're going to wrap up, you know, our behind the buy series 
with this episode. It's something that we definitely enjoyed quite a bit, but we we definitely could not have done it. And I say this sincerely without the help of our production team and uh, all the support staff that has helped us with the content and and so forth, the editing and 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 all that, but also our sponsor, which is probably the the most critical step in actually being able to to do this. And I believe, forgive me, like they're, I know they're important, but I, I can't remember the name of the Matt. Uh, you you have the notes to that, right? Yeah, it's our our uh, our lead sponsor for this entire series. The right. Exclusive rights, Pasha Law PC, a law firm practicing in California, Texas, New York, and Illinois. Right. Forgive me. I just it's been a while. I forgot that's who it was. But uh, but yeah, they're they're awesome. And of course, if you have any feedback for us, we already received some really fun feedback during the you know, publishing of our our series. But of course, please leave some positive reviews on all the different social media channels. Uh, we're coming back. We have new episodes in, in the pipeline here. Of course, we have a ton of content. We like to do deep dives in certain subjects. And throughout this entire podcast series, we've still been releasing written long form content that you can you can dive into, but also stay tuned because uh, more episodes to come. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, you can always go back and listen. We've been doing podcasting for quite a long time, not all these new newbies that have uh, set up in the last however many years. So we, we predate most, I think. But And of course, if you guys have any questions or comments, you can send it over to info at LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. We are very active in social media. And also, please leave your positive reviews at the various uh, sites that uh, publish our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. I don't know why they don't have a review site, but all the other ones, please please leave those five-star reviews. That helps a lot in expanding our audience and re- really appreciate that. But thank you also for listening to our Behind the Buy series. Yeah, I, I just... Uh... To second that, yeah, thank you for everyone for listening along on this Behind the Buy journey. Hopefully there's something that everyone could take away from from this series. And if not, I suspect you are going to take something away or use something from this down the line. So like and Nasser remember, said, if, if, if you take something away, you have to give us something back. I mean, it's only That's fair, true. Right? Yeah. It has to it has to be a net net zero. So right. we'll make sure that happens. But no, thank again, thank thank you everyone for for listening along. If, of course, if you have any questions either about something specific in this series or your business in general, again, you know how to get a hold of us. And as always, keep it sound, keep it smart. You just listened to Legally Sound Smart Business with Asar Pasha and Matt Staub. For more information about the podcast, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. This podcast is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening to or engaging with the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice but rather is produced for entertainment and educational purposes only. Do not rely on the information on this podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and does not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. This podcast may contain portrayals of clients by non-clients, reenactment of scenes, and persons which are not actual or authentic, and depictions which are a dramatization.